The title for today's sermon is Aaron, the Saint of the Lord, Part 2. Aaron, the Saint of the Lord, Part 2. So on November 27th, I presented the first part of this two-part sermon about Aaron, the brother of Moses. If you missed Part 1, there is an audio recording of that available at the United Church of God website. And just as a, a quick summary, in case you missed the first part. In part one, we saw in Psalm 106 and verse 19 that Aaron is referred to as Aaron, the saint of the Lord. And we saw that Aaron was a crucial leader among the Israelites and was called by God for that purpose. Yet Aaron's role in the Exodus and the leadership of the Israelites is significantly overshadowed by the central leadership role played by his brother Moses. The last time we examined the first two of four lessons that we can draw from Aaron's life. So lesson one was this, God prepares his saints in advance for, du- for the duties that he wishes them to fulfill. God prepares his saints in advance for the duties that he wishes them to fulfill. And here we saw that Aaron was appointed directly by God to serve as a helper to Moses and to become Israel's first high priest. Let's review 1 Chronicles 23:13. This is a scripture we looked at last time, but I'd like to look at it again. 1 Chronicles 23 and verse 13. And we'll come to that again later in the message. First Chronicles 23, 13. So this is a little family history. The sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses. And Aaron was set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give the blessing in his name forever. So the lesson two from last time was this one. Sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling, requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly. Sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling, requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly. Here we saw that Aaron made some huge mistakes as he worked to support his brother Moses. At the foot of Mount Sinai, Aaron buckled under public pressure and assisted the Israelites in creating an idol for them to worship. However, when confronted by Moses, Aaron confessed that he had done wrong and repented of his sin. Also, when God told Moses and Aaron to speak to the rock at Meribah so that water would come forth, they both failed to correctly follow God's instructions on how to proceed. Worse yet, they failed to give God the glory, drawing attention to themselves rather than to God before that miracle occurred. Let's review that in Numbers 20, verses 11 and 12. Numbers chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Here we see that God honored his promise to bring forth water for the Israelites, even though Moses and Aaron had not acted as God had instructed them. 
Numbers 20, verse 11. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. So you notice God doesn't address this with the entire nation. He addresses the error with Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me. So you might ask, well, what doesn't he, why didn't they believe God? They didn't believe that water would come out of the rock? Well, God actually told them to speak to the rock and the water would come out. Instead, Moses hits it. You know, as if that's going to make the water come out, right? Didn't, didn't he trust that just saying it would happen, make it happen? You did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. So God had actually told them to speak to the rock, and they didn't follow that command. Moses and Aaron became angry. And they emphasized their own importance. And then Moses physically struck the rock, which God had not told him to do. And though it was Moses who struck the rock, Aaron shared in the error and in the consequences. Neither man would be permitted to enter the promised land as a result. So although God forgave them, there was still a penalty. And that penalty was applied. And fulfilled. God continued to work with Moses and Aaron for many years after this incident, and they remained devoted servants of God until their deaths. But they learned lessons along the way. So that's a quick review of the last message, part one. Today, as we resume our examination of the life of Aaron, we'll draw two additional lessons from Aaron's life and consider how his experiences can apply to our calling today to serve God and his people as fellow saints of the Lord. So there's two more lessons. I'll give you those up front, and then we'll take them one at a time. Lesson three, sometimes God's saints face tremendous trials, but they must not allow those trials to weaken their faith in God. Sometimes God's saints face tremendous trials, but they must not allow those trials to weaken their faith in God. And lesson four, God's saints are only holy because of God's grace, not because of their own human worthiness or actions. God's saints are only holy because of God's grace, not because of their own human worthiness or actions. So let's look at lesson three, tremendous trials that we can't allow to shake our faith. Let's go to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 23. Exodus 6, 23. We'll just look at that verse here. Here we see a family record of the household of Aaron. We learn the name of Aaron's wife, Mrs. Aaron and the names of his four sons. So verse 23, Aaron took to himself Elisheba, the daughter of Amminadab, sister of Nashon, as wife. And she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. So we see 
four sons here. So let's keep those four individuals in mind. And let's turn to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, we'll start here in verse 1. Now I suspect the sons of Aaron are most likely listed here in birth order, with Nadab and Abihu being the oldest. And here in Exodus 24, we see that God granted Nadab and Abihu a special honor that he does not appear to offer to the two younger brothers for some reason. Here in Exodus 24, God has just given the covenant to Israel, and Israel has promised to fulfill that covenant and to obey God. Israel is gathered here at the base of Mount Sinai. Exodus 24 and verse 1. Now he, God, said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron. So Aaron's going to be involved in this too. Nadab and Abihu. They're called out by name. I want them to come up the mountain as well. So Aaron, bring your two oldest sons. And 70 of the elders of Israel. And worship from afar. So this is going to be a very special invitation, a very special opportunity. Let's skip down to verse 9. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. So nobody canceled on this invitation. Everybody's going to this special event. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. Right? Normally, God appears, you die. But God spares them. Right? He doesn't, he's not close up. He's far from them. They see his form. On the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. So they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. Now, clearly, being included in this special group of Israelite leaders was a true honor. They had been permitted to see the actual form of God from a distance. That honor was not extended to the other hundreds of thousands of Israelites gathered below the mountain. Nadab and Abihu must have come away from this experience thinking that they were rather important people. Not only had God chosen them to be priests in the Holy Tabernacle, but God had invited them by name to appear before him on Mount Sinai. Their positions as spiritual leaders in Israel seemed fairly secure. Sadly, that was not to be the case. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Here we see that Aaron is going to suffer a terrible family tragedy. His sons Nadab and Abihu would die at the same time. Not due to illness. Not due to an accident. They were killed. Probably while Aaron, their father, watched. And who killed them? God did. Leviticus 10 and verse 1. 
Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he, God, had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord. This is just immediately. I mean, there's no hesitation here. They did something that God hadn't told them to do, and fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord, just like that. Burned up. And Moses said to Aaron, you can imagine, here's Aaron watching his two eldest sons die right in front of him. And his brother turns to him and says, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Now, Normally, you'd think that the uncle would have something different to say. Like, how terrible or awful that was, right? You, you must feel terrible. No. He says, here's what God told me to tell you, Aaron. Whoever comes near me must be holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And notice Aaron's reaction. He says nothing. So Aaron held his peace. Right? This was of God. He's the high priest of God. He's seen this terrible event befall his very own children, and he holds his peace. Now that would be pretty hard for a parent to do under any circumstances, but especially something like this. In the course of performing their rituals in the tabernacle, Nadab and Abihu did something wrong. They chose to burn incense either in an incorrect manner or at a time that God had not commanded. They made a poor decision, and they paid for it with their lives. Now, several Bible critics, right, those who disparage the Bible, point to this as, as one of several passages that they say is proof that the God of the Bible is cruel and vindictive. After all, these two men, they were grown men, they didn't have any opportunity to learn from their mistake or to repent. Judgment was instant. So why was God so quick to strike these two men dead when other people like Aaron and Moses, he gave opportunities to repent. And especially pertinent to this message, how did Aaron react to the sudden execution of his own two sons? In order to understand this incident, we need to see what led up to the rituals that were being performed in the tabernacle on this day. This was the first time that a sin offering on behalf of the children of Israel was being presented at the newly completed tabernacle. The first time. Prior to this grand opening, if you'd like to call it that, God had given dozens and dozens of detailed instructions about the tabernacle and its operations. 
including how the tabernacle would be constructed, what materials were to be used, down to the smallest detail, what furnishings and utensils were to be crafted, how they were to be used in the ceremonies, who the priests should be, how they should be dressed, what was to be in the special incense that they offered, the recipe is given, what was to be done with the animal sacrifices and the various parts of the animals in the various types of offerings. All of that was spelled out in great intricate detail by God in advance. There was no room for anyone to just wing it as they saw fit. Let's go to Leviticus 8. Leviticus 8. We'll look at verses 33 to 36. The week before they died, these two sons of Aaron participated in a seven-day cleansing ritual along with Aaron and the other sons. This was required by God so that they could be permitted to minister to God on behalf of the people. Leviticus 8.33, speaking to Aaron and his sons, and you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days he shall consecrate you. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord, so that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. See, in, in order to serve God and his holiness, they had to be ritually holy. They had to atone for their own shortcomings and sins and errors and mistakes. And that was the purpose of this week-long ceremony so that they could be pure to serve in this tabernacle. Now, up until this point, Nadab and Abihu had complied with all of these consecration rituals. Aaron and his sons, the priests, had to atone for their own sins. But they were, at the end of that process, to be consecrated or sanctified, made holy. In other words, they were to stand before God as saints or sanctified ones. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to Leviticus 10. Right? You, you've got to know the context here. They'd just been through this process to remove sin. Leviticus 10, verse 1. This is the next day. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord which he had not commanded them. Next day, right out of the gate, they don't obey God. 
So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Right? This whole, that whole week had been about holiness. And before all the people, I must be glorified. See, if the, if the priest serving God in his own tabernacle were sinning in doing so, that brought dishonor to God, not honor to God. And Aaron realizes this. So Aaron held his peace. Just at the very moment that they were supposed to be ritually without sin, they sinned. This made them ineligible to continue with the ceremonies. But there seems to be much more going on here than simply Nadab and Abihu making a lapse in judgment. Notice the statement that God related to Aaron through Moses. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. See, that's an attitude. That's not an action. Apparently, the sin committed by Nadab and Abihu had more to do with their hearts than with their hands. Their actions demonstrated carelessness and disregard for the instructions of God. Now, let's imagine the impact of this incident on Aaron. Experiencing the death of a family member can be one of the most traumatic events in a person's life. Whether that death occurs due to old age or to illness or by accident, it naturally produces great sorrow and considerable grief, sometimes that endure for a lifetime. But notice Aaron's response is to say nothing. Two of his sons had just been killed by God, and he remained silent. Was he silent because the terrible event did not affect him? Of course not. But Aaron was God's high priest, serving as high priest in a holy ritual. And God, his master, was the one responsible for punishing Nadab and Abihu. The high priest could not speak against God or be seen by the people to oppose any of God's actions. So he put his own heart, emotions, grief, feelings on the back burner that he could serve as high priest and complete the ritual of the grand opening of the tabernacle. Look at verse 4. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, so these are cousins now, come near and carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. We've got to remove these corpses. Right? This spoils the mood. Get the bodies out. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, right, the other sons now, do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes, lest you die, and wrath come upon all the people. 
But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you, right? You're in the middle of the ritual. You I know you want to go and grieve. I know you want to stop and walk away from the duties that God has given you, but don't do it. Stay and fulfill your calling. And they did, according to the word of Moses. Now, if you'll hold your place here, let's go to Leviticus 21. Leviticus 21. And we'll look at verses 10 through 12. Now, this comes later in the sequence of the book, but it is a principle that God wants Aaron and his sons to understand. Why is it that Moses tells Aaron that he needs to keep carrying on with the rituals and not tend to the bodies of his sons? We see that here. Leviticus 21.10, he who is the high priest among his brethren on whose head the anointing oil was poured, and who is consecrated or sanctified to wear the garments, shall not uncover his head nor tear his clothes, nor shall he go near any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or his mother, nor shall he go out of the sanctuary, nor profane the sanctuary of his God, for the consecration of the anointing oil of his God is upon him. I am the Lord, right? Signed God. This is a rule for the high priests. Now let's go back to Leviticus 10, please. If you kept your place there, it's easy to find. Leviticus 10, we'll pick it up in verse 8. Now Aaron most likely would have known this command. It's written later, but they may have known it. And Moses wants him to know it. Now immediately after the bodies of Nadab and Abihu were removed, God personally speaks to Aaron. Now usually God spoke either to Moses alone or to Moses and Aaron as a team together. Now God directly speaks to Aaron alone, takes him aside. Verse 8, And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, you nor your sons with you, when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish between holy and unholy and between unclean and clean and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Now this seems to be an odd, sudden requirement that God has to add at this point. But it's placement right 
during these events seems to imply the punishment on Nadab and Abihu might have been necessary as a result of their use of alcohol while on the job. Alcohol, of course, impairs judgment. And it could have been responsible for their disregard for properly carrying out the rituals. Now, we do not know for certain that this was the case. But God's decision to suddenly address the issue directly with Aaron seems to indicate alcohol may have been involved in the events leading up to their deaths. And what about Aaron? He most certainly grieved in his heart, but he continued his duties within the tabernacle. The rest of the Israelites were permitted to mourn publicly, but not Aaron. Yet Aaron does not rebel. He submits to the will of the Lord. He did not allow this family tragedy to shake his faith in God or to change his obedience to God. So that brings us to lesson four. Lesson four. God's saints are only holy because of God's grace, not because of their own human worthiness or actions. Now, on December 4th, in his sermon here entitled Christian Submission to Human Authority, Mr. Will Flamen cited the example of the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. As Mr. Flamen discussed that incident in some detail, I will only summarize the first part of it in today's message. However, we will look at the event that followed God's punishment of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, because that's very pertinent to today's topic. So it's in Numbers chapter 16 that we find the account of this rebellion. So let's go there, please, to Numbers 16, verse 3. This incident follows the negative reports that were brought back uh, by those who were sent to spy out the land of Canaan. And the Israelites then agreed with the false reports and were afraid saying that it would be impossible to conquer Canaan. There were giants there, and there's no way they, they could do it. And why did you bring us out to die in the wilderness? So a group now sees this opportunity, right? The people have turned on Moses. He's promised the promised land, and there's no way we can conquer it. So a group then steps forward to say, okay, here, Moses and Aaron have failed us. Turn it over to us. We'll figure something out. So Korah, Dathan, and Abiram decide this is the opportunity to challenge that authority that Moses and Aaron held. Numbers 16, verse 3. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy. Everybody is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is among them. God's inside us. He's with us. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Now we know from Numbers 16 that God sides with Moses and Aaron in this and that he destroys these rebellious leaders and many of their supporters. 250 of these so-called leaders of Israel were burned up by the fire of the Lord. 
But notice what happens the very next day. Had the Israelites learned a lesson from this divine intervention and punishment? No. Numbers 16, verse 41. On the next day, all the congregation, everybody, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. Who killed them? God did. The people blame Moses and Aaron for their friends being burned up. Verse 42. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron. Now imagine this. Here, here you are, two guys in, you know, however old they are, 80-something by this point, maybe older. Here they are, and I guess they'd still be in their 80s. And the whole nation turns on them. I mean, this is it. They're going to get rid of them. When the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron, they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting. And suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. So where do they turn for help? They don't rely on their own strength or their own words, their own eloquence to try to protect themselves. There's no way out of this. So they turn immediately to God himself. They appeal to the Lord God of Israel, and he shows up instantly. I would guess the crowd backs away a bit now. Then Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Get away from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. I'm, I'm going to burn the rest of them. If this is the way they're going to worship me, behave toward me, I'm going to alter the plan. And they fell on their faces. Now, who fell on their faces? Moses and Aaron. in worship of God. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar and put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. Why? He's the high priest. It's his job to make atonement for the people so they do not die. For the wrath has, for wrath has gone out from the Lord, the plague has begun. So instead of fire, God sends a plague. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people, so he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. Now remember, Aaron's probably mid-80s here. And when Moses gives him a command to move quickly to save the nation, Aaron runs to do it. 80-year-old Aaron runs to save God's people from God's wrath. Verse 47, then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people, 
So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. The high priest stands between the dead and the living to make intercession on behalf of the people for God's mercy. That sounds familiar. Let's turn to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, we'll look at verses 1 through 4. Now, as we saw last month in part one of this message, Aaron was not listed among the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But he is listed by name here in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5 and verse 1. Now, of course, the author here is setting the stage for talking about Jesus Christ as our high priest, right, under the new covenant. But Aaron's part of the backstory. Hebrews 5, verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself. Right? You can't just step forward and say, I'm holy, too. It doesn't work with God. No man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, the rebels among the Israelites tried to take to themselves the special offices and duties that God had assigned to specific individuals among his sanctified ones. And God punished them for their presumption. Aaron, however, was appointed by God to be the high priest to God's people. Did Aaron's life experiences, his tragic losses, his mistakes, and his incidences of personal repentance help him to be a better high priest? Did Aaron learn to have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself was also subject to weakness? Let's look at 1 Chronicles 23, 13 again. 1 Chronicles 23, 13. We've already been there. Aaron, the saint of the Lord, was indeed a saint, a sanctified one, but not because there was anything special about him as a man. He was a saint because God set him apart for special service. First Chronicles 23, 13, the sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses, and Aaron was set apart. 
he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things, to burn incense before the Lord, to minister to him, and to give the blessing, the blessing, in his name, in God's name, forever. Now, what exactly is that blessing that Aaron was to give the Israelites in God's name? Well, let's go to Numbers chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6. We see that blessing in verses 22 through 27. And if you've attended in this congregation for some time, you'll remember our former pastor, Mr. Bob Fay, often shared this passage with us. This is the blessing given to Aaron and his sons to share with the Israelites. Verse 22, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Now Aaron knew all about God's graciousness and forgiveness. He had experienced it for himself. God had not destroyed him when he crafted the golden calf because he repented. God had not destroyed him when he stood with his sister against Moses, challenging the authority of his brother Moses because he repented. God had preserved his life when he ran into the face of pestilence to stand between the dead and the living in order to preserve God's wayward people. That was an act of faith. Let's look at Psalm 99. Psalm 99. And we'll look here at verses 5 through 9. Now we learn elsewhere in Numbers that Aaron, the saint of the Lord, died at the ripe old age of 123. And all the house of Israel mourned for 30 days when Aaron died. Now, Aaron wasn't listed in the faith chapter, but he does get high praise here in Psalm 99. Psalm 99, verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. We're not holy without God. We're only sanctified through God. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called upon his name. They called upon the Lord, and he answered them. He, they spoke with God personally. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them. God who forgives. Though you took vengeance on their deeds, there's still a consequence for sin. But God will forgive 
when there's repentance. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Now Aaron, like his brother Moses, learned some really hard life lessons. But they came to understand that their leadership roles and responsibilities came because of God's doing and not due to their own perceived worthiness. Only God's grace and forgiveness allowed them to fulfill the responsibilities that God gave to them. And like Aaron, we as Christians are called to be saints of God. Saints not because of anything we are or know or anything we can achieve on our own. Saints because God has chosen us and he sanctifies us through the blood of our high priest under the new covenant, Jesus Christ. And that's why the example of Aaron should mean a lot to us. So in this two-part sermon, we've drawn four lessons from the life of Aaron. And as I've said, these lessons, I think, can apply to our calling today to serve God and his people as saints of the Lord. We've learned that God prepares his saints in advance for the duties that he wishes them to fulfill, as he's doing with us today. We learn that sometimes God's saints fall short of their calling, requiring them to repent and to recommit to serving God properly. And sometimes so do we. We've learned that sometimes God's saints face tremendous trials, but they must not allow those trials to weaken their faith in God. And many among us have been experiencing severe trials. And that last lesson, and probably the most important, God's saints are only holy because of God's grace and not because of their own worthiness or their own actions.